Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Welcome today. Harry Kane finally makes his move. Can he force his way out of Spurs? Roy Hodgson bids farewell to his boyhood club. Has he been undervalued? Meanwhile, Scotland's players get the call for Euro 2020 and we prepare for a possibly explosive end to the Premier League season. All of that and more coming on the next hour or so of the game. I'm Hugh Wilsoncroft to help me through it all once again. Jonathan Northcroft, Tom Roddy and Gregor Robertson. How are you doing, guys? Morning, Hugh. Excellent. Very well, Hugh. Really good. Morning, morning, morning. Um, we're going to begin with the big story of the week, of course. After 220 goals for Tottenham Hotspur, Harry Kane is reportedly exploring the possibility of leaving the club. Look, there's some great stuff on the Times this week concerning the story. Matthew Syed's written, he says, Kane must put himself first. Alison Rudd feels uh, the situation could um, become a saga. Tom Roddy, I saw your name on the back page of the newspaper as well. You are famous, of course. Um, how real is this story? How likely is it Harry Kane leaves Spurs? Uh, it's entirely real. Um, Kane, Kane is uh, Kane is ready to make. Well, is making his move to leave Tottenham. Um, he he saw he he made this move last year as well when there was interest from Manchester City. He wanted to go, but he was persuaded to stay with the idea that Jose Mourinho was going to uh, deliver him the, the the trophies that he desired at Tottenham Hotspur, and that's the club where he's wanted to do it. He in in an ideal world he would stay at Tottenham and he would win trophies at Tottenham but as we've seen over the last year they've they've regressed as a club and the likelihood of, of that happening now is extremely low um, so he he believes he has this gentleman's agreement with Daniel Levy that allows him allows him to go this year but of course he's got this three-year contract and you ask you about the, the the likelihood of whether this is going to happen. I'm I'm really not sure. I'm 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 fifty fifty on it because 
The problem is we know the reputation of Daniel Levy. Um, there, I think there was a gentleman's agreement involved in the, the Luka Modric uh, situation and Kane was, was well aware of that. He knew he knew the history and, and Levy's reputation, but he believed that the fact he was sort of homegrown, he'd come, come through from a young age at the club, um, was a local boy, he, he thought he'd be treated a little bit differently and that remains to be seen but looks from the the noises coming out of Tottenham it looks highly unlikely looks like they'll they'll dig their heels in a little bit three years left on his current deal doesn't leave him in a very good situation Harry Kane do you think Jonathan that Harry Kane's right to try and force his way out of the club and what do you think has gone wrong for him personally players are expected to to be loyal at all times, and of course, clubs aren't always loyal to players. So, I, th- I think the way players are viewed when they do try and move is 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 unfairly negative a lot of the time. Um, if you, if if it's taken in context, and I think the thing that strikes me about the Harry Kane situation actually is that that there is understanding for him. Um, if you speak to Spurs fans, what they love about Harry Kane is he 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 is straightforwardness. A fact. They feel he represents them on the pitch. And actually, you know, they're as disillusioned, if not more disillusioned than he is. And I, you know, there seems to be an identification with Harry Kane's frustration. And I'm not saying that, that Spurs fans would be happy to see him go in any, by any means, but I think they understand what this guy's given to them. And they understand, um, that he is, you know, his, his, his desire for something better is the same as them. So, Politically, it's 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 an easier situation than it might have been a year ago. Um, he does have that three years left in his contract, and we can go back over it and ask why did he sign for six years when he, you know, that, that was an illogical thing. But that's that's done. I mean, it's what he does now. I I, I personally think. I mean, I, I spoke to Harry at the last England get together. He realizes he's at a crossroads. You know, he's he's twenty eight in July. This is it. He, he moves now. Or, or, he, or he probably doesn't at all. If you're talking about the Man Cities, um, the really big clubs that that, that, that are going to invest in a player, they invest at 28. They're probably not going to do it at 29. So it is now or never. And um, what option does he does he have? You know, he he he, he probably in the past, as Tom alludes to last year, he's probably been almost too respectful, or he's he's been very respectful to his club. And he hasn't taken a step like this before, despite having thoughts about leaving. Um, I don't think he's got any other option. I mean, the, the, the next thing would be to hand in a transfer request. And there's all sorts of reasons that players don't do that. Some of them contractual. But um, I, look, I, he, he, he has to do this. I think he, I think he will end up going. I think this will be... Um, a saga, um, but I, I think this this move that he's made, he's probably made it at the right time to give clubs the chance to sign him and to get out in the open. I mean, one of the important things for him, I think, is to get out in the open before joining up with England, so he can't be accused of having that distraction over the Euros. Gregor, what do you think? Uh, Jonathan thinks he could be on his way out. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I agree with Jonathan in that. Um, the, the striker thing is, you know, fans often turn against a player when they want to, when they make it known they want to leave. That's not the case this time. I think, as Johnny says, there's like an acceptance that he's almost outgrown them. Like if, if Spurs were moving in the right direction, you'd say, oh, come on, you know, there's still a chance for next year we might 
you know, we might do this, we might do that, we might challenge. The Spurs are going backwards. Spurs are on the slide. Spurs need a, Spurs need an overhaul. They need a new manager. They need a, a lot of new things, apart from a stadium. Um, so it's understandable. It really is understandable, and I think most you know fair-minded fans agree with that. Another thing is, I don't really see a a, a good ending for Daniel Levy here, because you either hold on to your captain, an, unha- an unhappy captain who's like a figurehead of the kind of unrest and and. Uh, resentment almost surrounding the club or you sell the club's kind of totemic leader and then the pressure's on you about how you're going to spend the hundred and something million pounds that comes in from that and the last time obviously uh, Spurs were given that kind of money from Gareth Bale he didn't do it brilliantly so Daniel Levy's under serious pressure now you know we, we had a conversation I think was it his 20th anniversary or something earlier this season we were saying you know he you know, football's not all about winning trophies. It's about the development and and uh, Spurs have come a long way under. And this is probably his most difficult. He's at a crossroads as well, I think, because this there's not there's not an you know not a clear way of him coming out of this very well, actually. Well, to be honest, I think if you sell Harry Kane, a lot of the fans would say. It was the right time for him to go. He's been a loyal servant. Two hundred and twenty goals, one of the best players ever for the club. And it is a chance, you know, if you look at it on the other side of things to, if you get the right money to rebuild, maybe bring in the two centre-halves that they desperately need and possibly a centre-forward who can get anywhere close uh, to replicating what Harry Kane has done. You, you never know who might be available in the market in terms of what's currently out there because a lot of clubs will want to offload players, particularly ones on, on decent salaries. But you're right, it is a massive crossroads. Gregor, before we move on to where he might end up, have you ever told a club that you wanted to leave? What's that like <laughs> for a player? I gonna ask this. I've, been, I've been told we would like you to leave. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I really haven't, honestly. I've, I've seen it happen with other players, like I've, you know, in, in my teams and, and whatnot. Um, how did that impact the, the team at the time, Gregor? It, it depends on the context. You know, if if I think if you think that the player, I think most players and most fair-minded fans accept if there's a, a, a chance to progress, then why, you know, we, you would want to be in that those shoes yourself. Unfortunately, I wasn't. <laughs> you, know, you want, you, you, no one wants to begrudge someone that. It's only a club who, who wants to get the right money and they want to be shown to be doing the right thing to help their club progress. So that's, you know, that's the only thing that's ever holding a move back. But, you know, can it be disruptive? Only marginally. I mean, I think the longer it drags out, and it's never I've never been never seen anything that's been this much in the public eye. You know, this is a huge thing. This is England's best player approaching a kind of pivotal stage in his career and, and it's gonna be fascinating to see what happens next. The other point is he wouldn't be doing this if he didn't know the there were options for him. It's it's just it's inconceivable that he would just announce, you know, a fancy go a fancy being off without knowing where he might where where he might be likely to go. So I'm sure that's come into it as well. I do like the idea though, that he's just sort of said, I'll play anywhere but here. But <laughs> you're right. It's very unlikely. Look, the possible suitors, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea as well. Um, Tom, do we have a, a realistic idea of which club will make the biggest effort to get him? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure on which will make the biggest effort. I think they'll probably get, they'll probably um, react to Kane's um, preference really, which is the, the the highest preference top of the list is Manchester City. The idea of 
walking into a club that is already a serial winner who can deliver. We all, we all know, we've, we've heard him talk about his desire for trophies. That's what he wants. And he hasn't got, <clears throat> he's not at the beginning of his career. As Johnny said, he's a, a crossroads. He's heading into the, 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 the last half of his career and he wants to he wants a trophy cabinet that matches his ability um so city uh, city can provide that city the club that can provide that the possibility of working with pep guardiola um also tempts tempts him in uh, there but i think and then i think united are, are second on that list because because uh, of the the, the the impact he can have. I think there is this idea that he could be the missing link to return them to the, the glory days. And the third one on the list is Chelsea, largely because of the potential, you know, being London rivals, the controversy that that, that could bring, um, almost certainly would bring. Uh, it's, it, that isn't an easy move um, to make. So so City are... City are are the the likeliest, but um, you, you could see United getting in there. The, but the problem for City is that their their biggest their record signing is is Ruben Diaz, sixty uh, five million pounds. Do you then do you then Levy's looking at one hundred fifty million pounds? Can you do that? Uh, I, I'm I think that's the that's the one stumbling block there. Well, I hope you're not asking if they've got the money, Tom. Because they have, <laughs> so uh, so they can they can do it. They mm. absolutely can do it. Would they do it? Is is another big question. Mm. Um, one hundred and fifty million pounds is is that a realistic price given the pandemic, whatever the market might be for transfers going forward? Look, there's one ele- element to this for me, which is to say Manchester City one day will have to spend this much money on a player because they are one of the clubs like Paris Saint Germain who are stretching the boundaries of money spent in football. So eventually they're going to have to do it anyway. And you do it for someone young who maybe hasn't played in the Premier League, like an Erling Haaland, who's got a huge reputation, or a Kylian Mbappe, who PSG have already done it for. Or you do it for someone who is a proven goal scorer in your division in the shape of Harry Kane. What it does for Manchester City, especially if they don't win the Champions League this year, is, you know, we're talking about serial winners. Yes, but they're not serial Champions League winners. And Harry Kane could easily be the difference between a first Champions League final and potentially a a first Champions League win to regularly getting to the last four and possibly finals. He's that good. So so I think for Manchester City, I don't know what you think, Jonathan, it might be worth it. Yeah, I mean, look, look, a month ago, Pep Guardiola said, almost apropos nothing, we might need to break our transfer record. We might need to spend £100 million on a player. He's not, a, he's not a manager that indulges in transfer hype by any means. So when he said that, my, my ears did prick up. I thought something's cooking there. And clearly it's Haaland or, or, or Kane. But the, the, you know, there's many reasons, I think, that Haaland would be an incredible investment. But the, there's, a, there's the two drawbacks. One's Mino Raiola, um, who his history with, with Pep Guardiola is pretty checkered. Um, and the other's just... This is a team that's, that, you know, as, 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 as you've alluded to, Hughes, very, very nearly there. It's very nearly complete. And I think this is in the next four or five years for City. It's kind of harvest time. It's time to, to, to get those Champions Leagues and as many trophies as possible. And 
Kane in the short term would give the better the better possibility of doing that. And he's arguably more a Guardiola type player as well because of his ability to knit play and and and, and do all of those things. And then the final thing for City is. You've always got to look at the reputational dimension of this club. The reason that Abu Dhabi invested in them is to become this kind of revered part of of, of Britain. You know, this this part, of this this establishment club. That's what they want. They want to they want to create a kind of um, an iconic football club like Manchester United. And to sign the England captain does actually give you that extra cachet that extra dimension if there's one thing that's a little bit missing or has been missing from the man city pro- project shall we say it has been that english that really iconic english dimension now they've got foden you know maybe the best young player in england and to have harry kane as well i mean if you think what that would do for them just in terms of of taking that iconic english club status it'd be huge so i'm sure that's in the thinking as well Harsh on Scott Carson, but fair enough. Um, (laughs) And Fabian Delph. Who thinks, I mean, I I want you to name which club you think Harry Kane will end up at. You can name how much for as well, if you like. It's not really a prediction, Gregor. Take it easy. But I am interested (laughs) to see how you guys think this will play out. I will start with you, though. City. And I think the first number will be one, but I don't think it'll be uh, 150. Maybe 120. That would still seem like a heck of a... A stretch. I know you're, you're talking about Man City have the money, but as we're saying, they haven't spent that kind of money before, so that would be a hell of a statement. So, so I think something in that kind of ballpark might get it done. Um, and when you're looking at it from Kane's point of view, of course you're going there. Got Pep Guardiola, um, you know, a, a ridiculously good team. If you're going to win, if your your reason for leaving is to win trophies, that's the best club to go to. So it's a no-brainer. Um, it. Personally, it just would feel slightly kind of like, oh my god, this this uh, <laughs> this team that's lacking one final kind of sprinkling of stardust has just had like the best striker possibly alongside Lewandowski in the world added to it. It's just ominous, ominous for the future. And slightly, I don't know. I don't feel. I wouldn't feel great about seeing it personally. Um, just after all the last year we've had and all the talk about the financial hardship and stuff, somebody just goes, okay. We'll park all that because we're owned and owned and run by a nation state and spend 120 million quid on one player. Slightly uneasy about that. It is the best way, though, to make the fans forget about the European Super League. Great bit of PR. Uh, <laughs> Tom Roddy, what do you think? Where and, and how much? I think how much, even, you know, assuming it does happen, then I think we'll get a bit of, uh, on the day, we'd probably get a bit of sort of discrepancy about what the actual price was because mm, mm. you'll have you'll have Tottenham <laughs> saying disclosed fee <laughs> yeah yeah but the, the, you'll have Tottenham saying one thing which will be a very high price and and the 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 other club saying the opposite because <laughs> what you'll what you'll what it'll probably be is a figure which I suspect, like Gregor said, we'll start with one, and then you'll have the add-ons um, involved because 150 million up front just isn't likely to happen. Um, and where I, I think I I would I would love to to see it be Man United purely because of everything Gregor's just said about the the competitive nature of the Premier League and and um, we've we've regularly spoken about the idea of packing up and going home if City I think we've said that before about City getting Kane because of their 
the potential for domination but i do i do feel it will be it would be city because that's kane's main preference they've they were there before for him and they're 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 very much here now as long as yuri Tielemann stays at leicester i'm quite relaxed about <laughs> other other moves um, i think it will be city um, i think it will have a i think it'll be 100 million um, that'll uh, probably no more than that. Uh, as Tom said, there'll be a discrepancy, and it reminds me of of when Bale went to to Real Madrid, and Daniel Levy was desperate for that fee to be higher than the Ronaldo uh, fee to Real Madrid the year before, two years before. And they announced Spurs announced a higher fee, and Real Madrid were desperate to be for it to be seen as lower than the Ronaldo fee, so that Ronaldo didn't get upset. So you had this gap, and it might be the same. But um, I think he'll want. I think Levy will want to have a, a one in it, uh, as as we've been saying. I think it will just be you know this is the first hundred million pound English transfer between clubs, um, and that'll be the PR around it. The, the intriguing thing is there is talk of you know like a Gabriel Jesus or some kind of. Um, make quite arrangement. I mean, in my, in my experience, these things ne- never actually happen, but it's intriguing. I've been thinking about this, Jonathan. I'm not going to lie. I've been getting the scales out and seeing how Harry Kane weighs up. And I'm, I'm thinking 100 million plus a Benjamin Mendy and Nathan Ake and a Gabriel Jesus might be enough for, for Daniel Levy. Because of course, we're all talking about the rebuild. I've thought about this with Chelsea as well. Maybe a Tammy Abraham possibly a Timo Werner if, it, if that's not working out. But there are, you know, there's Christian Pulisic, maybe a Hakim Ziyech that you throw in as well, a Kurt Zuma, Andreas Christiansen. You know, there's deals to be done out there, guys. You've got to think outside the box. Come on, you. Who, 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 which United players are you offloading? <laughs> yeah, you must have. <laughs> I'll be honest. Are there any? £100 million pounds plus about eight Man United players and Daniel Levy would still turn it down. <laughs> I think I think is it is it 100 million plus Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for you? <laughs> I think <laughs> we 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 we've got the likes of Juan Mata, Dan James, Axel Tuanzeb, Brandon Williams to throw in. Yeah, I'm not yep. sure it's going to happen. Maybe a Donny van der Beek. <laughs> this is turning into Blackbush Market. Sergio Romero. Do you know what? Yeah. Man United could serve that solve their in- their entire squad problem here by saying here's 11 players Daniel Levy plus 100 million quid. <laughs> I agree with all of you. It would be ominous for the Premier League if Harry Kane were to sign for Manchester City. I actually think that's a team where his injuries would be managed better as well due to the style of the the amount of possession that Manchester City have in most of their games um, and the short passes, you know. So I don't think he's going to get as stretched physically at Manchester City as he would elsewhere. And I think that's another reason why it's the perfect move for him. But like I say, as a Manchester United fan as well, I would hate to see it happen, but um, but yeah, look, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens during the summer. Hopefully, for uh, England, it doesn't turn into the big saga. Questions uh, every press conference over how's Harry feeling, and every time he speaks, you know, is there any news on whether you're going to be at Spurs anymore? Hopefully, if it, there is a deal to be done, it's done sooner rather than later. One man who is definitely saying goodbye right now. Crystal Palace boss Roy Hodgson. He was given a, a guard of honour before his final home match in charge at Selhurst Park after four years as manager of his boyhood club. It's also the place he began his career. He's now 73 years old. He's managed England, of course, Inter Milan, Liverpool, Fulham and many more in a 45-year managerial career. Uh, Jonathan, Roy says it's been a privilege 
He says he'll miss football terribly as well. And before we talk about his legacy, what has he been like to deal with? Oh, the, the, the word you'll always hear about Roy is a gent. He's an absolute gentleman. Um, and, you know, go, in my time of, of, of dealing with him, I suppose he's gone from being the slight sort of curiosity, the guy that, that, that did his, um, his work abroad and was a sort of English curio to, to being right at the heart of the English game, you know, first with Blackburn and then, uh, then Fulham and then obviously the England national job, the, the, the Liverpool interlude. Um, you know, a gentlemanly guy, but he does have an edge. That's a, that's the thing that maybe is missed about Roy sometimes. I've seen it in press conferences and, and I've, I've heard it from players. Behind all of that, there is quite a kind of fierce, you know, son of a Croydon bus driver, um, street fighter in there as well, which, which he maybe keeps quite well hidden underneath the articulate exterior. But he's a real, uh, just, uh, it's impossible to imagine Roy Hodgson not being in management. That's that's the thing. He's just so steeped in it. I don't know if this is going to be the end for him completely in football. I actually hope it's not because I think he's got a lot to offer and I think he's been undervalued over the years. And maybe when we take a step back and look at what he's done at Crystal Palace, that in itself, before you get to anything else, will be will be seen as, 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 as a pretty big achievement. Gregor, do you think he's undervalued, Roy Hodgson, given the achievements he's had in the game? Yeah, undoubtedly. I think... You know, part of that has to be put down to his spells that these two biggest rules at Liverpool and England not going well, let's be honest about it. Um but he's fairly unique in in that you know, as Johnny says he's a bit of a curio in that he went went abroad and if that happens really it's really the you know, as it's so widely kind of travelled and at clubs to the stature of Inter Milan and and then they come back and are such a success here. You know, there was reading that he was I think when he came back he, he to Fulham, you know, Fulham were just I think they'd won two games before Christmas or something. Three years later they were in the they were playing in a European final. It's like every club really he's gone and improved. Liverpool and England aside, he's he has improved them. And he's you know, football's not all about silverware either. It's like it's about survival, longevity, uh, development. And and even just even just watching him walk out and in front of that guard of honour and you had Wolf Zaha, Tyrick Mitchell, Gary Cahill, Ben Techie—people from very, you know, very different sort of ages and backgrounds and whatnot. And the thing about is he—he he manages to engage them all at the age of seventy-three years old <laughs> and motivate them. And he's done this across Europe, and he's done this, you know, various players of different standards and levels and backgrounds and all this. That is a remarkable talent. And you couple that with his kind of with his knowledge about football because he knows how to set up a team and make them very hard to beat. Um, so absolutely, I mean, apart, probably Bobby Robson's the only other person you can think of in, as an English manager that has done the kind of things he has in terms of how far and wide he's travelled and the success he's had. So absolutely he's undervalued, but he shouldn't be. Tom, do you think it comes down to the England job, the poison chalice? He had three wins from 11 games at major tournaments uh, as England boss. And it included that that very memorable defeat to Iceland at Euro 2016 as well. He won't be remembered by the fans for that, will he? I think England's... It, it, he will be involved, sadly, 
in in England's lowest moment, um, which which taints it really. And and of course, the, the uh, I, I suspect Johnny would have would have been there at that press conference, Johnny afterwards, which which, was. which I wasn't. It would be, um, but uh, but heard about it, and and um, it sounded it, it sounded pretty uncomfortable. I, I was there, and, and of course, he opened it by saying, "I don't know why I'm here." You know, which which um, probably wasn't the best opening, but but he was hurt. You could, you know, that's what I mentioned earlier. Beneath it all, it's, he's he's as much a kind of you know visceral street fighting manager as I don't know. Let's say Chris Wilder or someone else that we we might identify more with being on that side of things because Roy's a bit articulate and verbose. Maybe he's he's seen as slightly different, but he's not. He he, he really bleeds it, and he was very hurt, very bruised, very upset, rightly so by how England had failed. I actually think his England reign is, the tournament performance wasn't great, of course, but you could level that, I suppose, at other England managers. Um, Euro, the Euros was a disaster. No, no getting away around, around that. The World Cup was a bit, un, bit more unfortunate, actually, because um, it was just the way that group worked out. But if you look beyond that, he, he, he brought in a lot of young players. He developed a lot of people and his performances a lot of the performances with England were, were, were pretty good until he got to those tournaments. So I don't, I don't see the England reign as a, as a disaster. I think it, it was maybe just a typical England manager's journey, a bit of good and a bit of bad. And, and you know, England is still waiting for that guy that's going to break that cycle. But you know, if you think about the, the players he empowered, um, the, the, the players he brought on. I mean, for someone that's seen, and, and it's interesting what Gregor says about how he engage, really engages people. For someone that's seen as a kind of old school bloke, um, you know, I remember his enthusiasm for Raheem Sterling, for example, at the age of 18, bringing him into that England squad, empowering him, giving him a platform, putting people around him like, like Stephen Gerrard socially to help him through. I mean, a very clever manager who, who did have a lot of development at heart in, in, in what he did. And it's it was a shame for him how England ended. It it really was because I know how much he'd have wanted a different ending to that. We always talk about about the need to be looked seen as you're progressing. We just said talk, had that discussion about Spurs, and that's the thing that when unfortunately when you when you're in your seventies, despite the job you're doing and how you know you've done done something that I don't think any other Palace manager's done and that kept them for in the Premier League yeah. for so long, like so. Despite all that, you can't really look into the future too much. It's very hard. It's, a, it's almost impossible. So I think that desire to be seen to be progressing and they've seen this as a, as a turning point. They've got 14 players out of contract. That does, you know, they think this is a moment to do it. I can understand it. I can understand it. But it, the next guy, it's, it's a tough, it's a, they're big shoes to fill. And it's a tough job because you've got an overhaul of a squad and you're arriving at a club who are one of the small clubs in the Premier League who have been you know, overperforming to to survive there. So it's not it's not it's not going to be easy to replace Roy Hodgson. But I can understand why they do it because you you're always everyone should be looking to the future, and it's hard to look too far into the future when Roy Hodgson is the manager. Gary Jacob wrote uh, on Wednesday what, what you've just said, Hugh, that 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 Roy was sort of in the in the dark over whether he was going to get a new contract, which doesn't doesn't sound like someone who was looking to retirement and you know tending to his allotment for the for for into his seventy fourth or seventy fifth year, you know. Um, 
and it was funnily enough i found the the good morning britain interview he did yesterday first of all surprising but also quite um quite interesting in in the way that he said if you i i don't sort of see it as retirement because if you if you sort of retire from football you're you're almost sort of retiring from from life (laughs) so it's so i think this sort of stretches well beyond um well beyond football but it it, we we speak about sort of tributes and and the achievement of the the certain achievements of what he does and and johnny took the words right out of my mouth about what what the the way this sort of guy we see as a wistful thinker has managed to get the best out of Raheem Sterling, Wilfred Zaha, and now he's bringing on players like Tyrick Mitchell at, at, at Crystal Palace. Um, and, and yet you, you hear from other managers who just say there's no chance I would be managing in my 70s, which tells you the sort of insatiable appetite he has and, and just absolute passion for it. It's 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 it is remarkable well it's it's also one of those be careful what you wish for situations who knows the new manager goes in by christmas crystal palace could need someone to come and save their season who else to call other than sam allardyce who's leaving west brom of course at the end of the season after his short-term stint at the hawthorns he says look from here on out i'm just i'm i'm here to do rescue jobs you know, I, I did love the fact that he basically said, I can't be bothered. It, you know, basically said, <laughs> I, I don't want to go down to the championship. What? Get, it, funny enough, he did say in his interview, get them straight back up and then I'd have to stay for another season, <laughs> which was um, which was very complacent about what West Brom would do with him as a manager in the championship. But then, of course, about what maybe he would do when he got them back there. Um, but But he's another manager who I think has shown this season, he was away for a while, but he has shown this season certainly with the, the second half of the time that he was coaching at West Brom, where they basically became a mid-table side, certainly a comfortable Premier League side in terms of their results, that he still has something to offer the top flight as well, let alone the championship. Jonathan, could we see Allardyce back and Hodgson back very soon? Yeah, we could, because there'll always be Premier League clubs who reach November, December in a panic and press a button and need someone to do exactly what those guys are are, are 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 so capable of doing, which and there's a parallel between them in just their their, their sheer ability and experience in structuring a team. And, and I think when we talked about Allardyce arriving at West Brom a few months ago in this this pod, you know, I I, I just noted that, that 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 it would take him a little bit of time, but once it got going, it w- it would be a different side, and that's what you saw. You know, these guys are. Um, they, they do what they do. They, they, they have a clear way of structuring, particularly defensively, um, that, that hasn't changed. But, but why should it? It's very successful. And they're capable of teaching that, which is, as we've been saying, one of Roy's big skills is actually t- teaching players, getting through them. And Sam does it as well. And um, I watched Sam's interview last night. It was a bit like the, the sort of Father Ted when he won the Golden Cleric and decided to to put a few people in their place speech um, but it, but it also showed it also showed the fire that's still in Sam and maybe this kind of, good one good one yeah, this kind of air that Sam's got of uh, feeling that he's still got something to prove so I think I think he'll be I think we could see both of them back at for different rescue jobs or certainly the first club that does that, that panics, I need someone to rescue them. It'll be those two names at the top of the list. Yeah, six-month job, back to Marbella for Sam, back 
you know, perfect for them. Absolutely. Um, up next, we're going to be talking about Scotland, who've named their squad for Euro 2020. But while we're on the subject of out-of-work managers, the ex-Chelsea boss Frank Lampard has been speaking to the Times chief football writer Henry Winter. You can read that right now by subscribing to the Times and the Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you will get yourself one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We'll be talking Euro 2020 and looking ahead to the end of the Premier League season next. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Scotland manager Steve Clark has named his squad for Euro 2020 this summer with several surprises. At Chelsea's Billy Gilmore, Nathan Patterson of Rangers and Celtic's David Turnbull are all called up for the first time. It's Scotland's first appearance at a major men's tournament since 1998, of course. And Gregor, as a former Scotland and under-21, uh, I'll start with you by asking, are the youngsters ready? Um, well, we Billy is, of course. I mean, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> David Turnbull David Turnbull's a very talented player. Uh, had a move to Celtic fall through a couple of years previously and he, because of a knee, knee problem. And then he's he's been a shining light for Celtic despite... You know, in a bit of a miserable season. I don't know much about Nathan Patterson. I believe he's only played nine games this season for Rangers, kind of filling in for for Tavernier. But I think he's a really athletic, promising player. And um, I think the thing is, a combination of injuries to Ryan Jack, Kenny McLean, Ollie McBurney, Ollie Burke, and the increase from 23 to 26 players kind of freed up basically seven places. And I think it gave Steve Clark the 
the chance to inject a bit of youth. And it is a young squad. It's kind of, you know, I think he laughed. He probably poured scorn on uh, when somebody asked him if this is our kind of golden generation. <laughs> it was like, give us a break, give us a break guys. It's the first time in 23 years we've got here. We'll see how it goes first. Um, but it is good to have, you know, to have some young players here. And to, I saw a kind of graphic on Twitter where it was like, you know, you kind of have these peak years between 24 and, and, and 30. And basically all the players are in that apart from goalkeepers. And I think Declan Gallagher, who's 30, He's the only he's the only outfield player at thirty or over, so it's you know that's promising. Um, and are they, those players good? I don't think they'll start. I don't think those three players you mentioned will start. But the young guys who'll be in and around it, and I think you know someone like Billy Gilmore is something very different to to what Scotland have ever had. <laughs> Generally speaking, you know he's like a very modern kind of short, sharp, can play lots of little passes midfielder. Whether Scotland will play that way or not is a different matter. But I think it's quite an exciting squad and there's a bit of hope around it. I can see the smile on your face, Gregor. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you believe you know, it's going to happen. Did you, see, did you see the video as well that accompanied, accompanied it? They're kind of all these kind of minor Scottish celebrities and, and pundits and stuff naming every single player. They really milked it, but it was great. I, was, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got me excited for the tournament now. 26 names, no less. Three more than usual. Uh, Jonathan, yeah. Steve Clark says he's used the extra three spaces allowed for the quality of the young players to give them that experience as well. But do you, do you look at the squad and has it increased your hope that the Scotland will surprise people at the tournament? I'm, I'm sort of keeping hope in abeyance in a, in a very Scottish way and nothing's going to change that. But I was, ple- I was pleased enough with it. I, I, a bit of a shame for Andy Considine, of course, um, which has been such a fairy story. And maybe that, I do have a slight question mark about that because you know, I think you've got to always think about the social side and, and kind of culture side of a squad. And I think he represented a lot off the pitch. Um, but, you know, Billy Gilmore, it's great to see him in. Um, like Gregor, I don't know too much about Patterson. I know Turnbull's good. Um, I hope Kevin Nisbet might be able to do something. Um, he was preferred to Lee Griffiths up front. And, um, you know, it, it's just, you just come back to what us Scots have been saying for a long time. We're going to a tournament. We're getting to name a squad. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> no, no, no. We've got to scrutinise every single decision made by the, by the manager. Any errors on your on your part, Gregor? Um, anyone left behind that really should have been there? I agree with Johnny in that because Considine clearly, I mean, the song <laughs> that, that accompanied Scotland's qualification was born from uh, Andy Considine. It was his, something to do with his wedding or his stag do. That was like, they, they filmed like an amateur video. And so he's obviously a big, was quite a big figure and, and you know, well liked. But I, I kind of, uh, accompanying that, I have trust in that Clark will be someone who can judge these things. I think Clark is, you know, a very good manager. And I think he will have judged that and weighed it up. Um, and I think Lee Griffiths has had, you know, he's had a pretty miserable season, but it could have been someone you just thought, we'll throw him in and, you know, he might, score a couple of free kicks against England. How does the Considine <laughs> song go, Gregor? Oh, no, no. That was a one-time only. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Who knows? That that might be the uh, the song of the tournament. Who knows? Especially after what we had Will Griggs on fire last time around, didn't we? So you never know. Um, look, Tom Roddy, 
Just quickly, do you have anything to say about Scotland whatsoever? <laughs> careful. Uh, yeah, very careful. Um, I, I think I said last time I'm quite. Uh, I'm. I'm optim- I'm bringing the optimism from from these these two. Um, I'm, I'm just. I'm so relieved to see Billy Gilmore. Yeah. I'm, I, I think my my thoughts were were just that that midfield. I'm. I'm I think they're really strong in midfield with, especially with John McGinn. I think he's. Not quite under, underrated necessarily, but really that injury really affected him. Um, with John McGinn, Billy Gilmore, Scott McTominay, um, I think if 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 Scotland take their chances, then um, it would be great to see them them do well. John McGinn against Spurs last night, he yeah. was just hounding oh. them. It was, you almost felt wow. sorry for them. He was making yeah. players look like fools. Like mm. he he is, yeah, super John McGinn. <laughs> Let's look ahead, finally, to the end of the Premier League season. Of course, we've got a lot to look forward to in the summer, but this weekend could be special as well. In the race for the European places, let's start with the the top four. Chelsea are third. They've got 67 points and a plus 23 goal difference. Liverpool just behind them, 66 points with a plus 24 goal difference. And then Leicester, also on 66 points, have a goal difference of plus 20. So they are four behind Liverpool, but only a point separates the three teams. The final day sees Aston Villa host Chelsea, Liverpool host Crystal Palace and Leicester take on Spurs at the King Power. I want to start with Leicester on this one, Jonathan. I know they're a club that you follow closely. They had a great weekend um, winning the FA Cup final and then a very poor performance at Stamford Bridge. Are they fizzling out once again, having missed out on the Champions League last year? And what would that say about the club if they do? Yeah, I mean, yes, they're fading. Of course they're fading. Um, I just think it says that they've got the eighth biggest budget and that Brendan Rodgers has got a net spend of 17 million in, in two and a half years and he's up against absolute giant football clubs. You look at Chelsea in that game being able to bring on a, a World Club winning striker and um, a £50 million midfielder and they've got people like Abraham and Hudson-Odoi still on the bench. This is not. A, this is you know. Leicester have got a, a pea shooter, a gunfight basically, and and they've they've done incredibly well to to be in the top four as long as they have. Uh, I think if they hadn't won the FA Cup, there yes, there might be a, a case for saying uh, this is a team that's struggling to find ways to get over the line, and there might be a psychological thing. But I can't convey enough how important that FA Cup has felt to Leicester fans and to the city, and and they would have taken that over the Champions League. So for them, they have won. They have, they have achieved their, of the two priorities they had at the end of the season, they've done it. The Champions League would be, would be the bonus. Still might happen. I don't see, I just, I'm not going to see negatives in Leicester's season, whatever happens on the last day. But they are relying on Maybe the heart is ruling the head a if little bit. If they lose but 5 just, mil I, on the final day, there's no negatives. No, okay, okay. If you lose to that Spurs side, of course, they've been <laughs> losing one note, <laughs> then there'd be negatives at the Spurs at the moment. No, I, look, I, I just, what I mean is, I don't think the, the idea of them you know, bottling or, or having a, a psychology issue is, is, is in any way fair. This is a team's had, in, apart from Liverpool, they've had probably the, 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 the most significant injuries to key players in the season. Um, they've, they've done something they hadn't done for 130 years. On the last day of the season against these mega rich clubs, they're still in there fighting for the Champions League. Um, the Newcastle game was a disaster, but you are going to get that with, um, 
you know, you're going to get that for anyone and particularly with uh, a, a, a squad that you can't rotate, a young team. Yeah, I mean, he's playing Luke Thomas, a 19-year-old. Um, you know, if, 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 if Chelsea or Liverpool or um, one of the big clubs have to play a 19-year-old, it's a big story. But because it's Leicester, it's like, you know, that, that goes unremarked. But that's the reality. He's, he's, he's playing kids from the youth team. Um, he's playing a squad that he can't really rotate in this part of the season against the, against the very richest. And that's, that's, that's all that this says. The same has happened to West Ham over the last few weeks. It's the gravity of the Premier League. And, and sure, surely and, and slowly, Liverpool have risen and Arsenal have risen. And squad power tells in the end, I'm afraid. And that's, that's just the story of it. Tom, is that the story of, of Liverpool season towards the end? Finally woken up. They've got Crystal Palace at the weekend who might might give nightmares to some of their fans, especially given Cristambul, but that was at Selhurst Park. Uh, do you see anything other than a Liverpool win this weekend? I, I, I don't. Um, I, I did uh, about a week ago. Um, the, the, fun of, the fun of predictions. I mean, I, I actually wondered whether they would struggle at West Brom and whether they would struggle um, at Burnley. And, and they, well, they did at West Brom, but, but they've, they've really picked up momentum. And I, do, I think you're, seeing, you're really actually seeing the importance of Yotta. Uh, to that to that side now um what he has brought after the after the injury um but i don't i see them i see them willi- winning at palace and i see leicester winning against tottenham um i see that chelsea villa game as 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 such a big one because um that's that's no certainty and we saw how we saw how chelsea's um minds weren't fully on the game at Arsenal before the FA Cup final. There is a difference in that there were only two, three days before the FA Cup final with that Arsenal defeat where they were really poor, whereas now there's a week between this game, or little under a week between this game and the Champions League final. But you can see Villa getting something out of that and that would change everything. For me, that that's the game. I, I don't think all three of them will win. It's the Premier League. It's the final day of the season. There there just has to be a twist. Let's be realistic. There just has to be a twist. But, Gregor, you pointed it out already. Aston Villa have put in a great performance against Tottenham Hotspur. Um, do you think they can hold Chelsea? I think there's a chance. I think that's the biggest chance. I think Liverpool at home with fans in Palace, nothing to play for. Although it's Roy's final game, I still I can't see anything happening there. That's the game. I think Villa on their day are a real handful for any team, so that is the game. But you know, I kind of I've kind of said it all season. I mean, I've been the cynic saying it'll be the four teams, even when Liverpool are blooming eighth, or you know, when Everton, Villa at the start of the season, West Ham, Spurs briefly, Le- Leicester. It's like it always, it always the money always tells in the end. And I think that I was actually finding myself. A bit kind of saddened by the last few days, seeing that you know Leicester, Leicester. I, you can't really criticise Leicester. I was thinking, you, well, you're right. You can look at the Newcastle game. You can even look at the West Ham game and how the build up to that when the players made a mistake and they were, you know, Brendan Rodgers had to leave out Madison and Perez and and one other. I forget what the other one was. Um, you know, you can look back to these things, but at the end of the day, they're really playing with like a third. Of the turn, <laughs> the club's got a third of the turnover of these the rivals above them, um, and I, th- I really struggle to see much, give much credit to any of them above them apart from City. 
Man United finishing second in the Europa League final, and to me, they feel like a deeply average, not very entertaining team. Uh, Chelsea first half of the season were, you know, were, were they find they kind of aborted the Frank Lampard experiment, brought in somebody who's one of the kind of world's leading coaches, and we've seen a great improvement. But Chelsea, that's just Chelsea. They're ruthless and rich, and Liverpool have been a disaster, and some of that has been. You know, unavoidable injuries and whatnot. Some of it has been self-inflicted, and they needed a goalkeeper to head in, to head in a winner at West Brom to get here, to get to this point, to beat Leicester on goal difference. So Leicester are the ones who are overperforming. The rest are, are deserve very little credit in my eyes to f- to finish above Leicester. Jonathan, do you, you agree with that? Yeah, I, I just think, you know I was looking at the table, and Arsenal, I think, will finish seventh. I, I, I'm expecting them to finish seventh, and um, I mean, goodness me, how how kind of bad in many ways the season of Arsenal have, and I, I think that that's Gregor's point that it, it kind of illustrates how uh, everyone sort of it's been a league where apart from City, there haven't been outstanding performers. The fact that Arsenal could could end up there after all that's gone on just 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 illustrates that, and I think it is Leicester and West Ham that deserve. The credit, Leicester, West Ham, Leeds, and City for the performances this season, and everyone else needs to knows they need to do a lot, lot better next year. Yeah, you've you've nicely taken us down the table. Then, really, um, talking about West Ham, they're sixth on sixty-two points. They need a draw versus Southampton to absolutely guarantee sixth place. Um, Spurs seventh on fifty-nine points. They visit Leicester, as we know. Everton eighth on fifty-nine points as well. Go to Manchester City and Arsenal, who are currently ninth, a point behind those on fifty-eight. Host Brighton. They could finish with a win uh, up in seventh place. That would be good enough for the Europa League. Certainly, the team that finishes down in ninth unlikely to be uh, in the Europa Conference League, um, but the, the eighth place team could be in either the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, depending on what happens in the Champions League final and where Chelsea finish in the Premier League as well. So that's all still to be decided. But when I was thinking about this, yes, of course, we can look at it from the Arsenal perspective. They could finish seventh. But again, it just shows for me, Tom, what a poor decision it was from Spurs to put Ryan Mason in charge until the end of the season because they could, they could well, I think they probably will finish ninth behind Arsenal, out of European football completely. And again, you have to ask, what on earth was Daniel Levy thinking? Yeah, I mean, it was the whole the whole timing of, of that six days before a Carabao Cup final. Um, we, we've already spoken about Spurs' is, is situation um, a little bit around the Harry Kane talk at the top of, of the, 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 the show. But... Um, but I, I was actually at the, the ground last night, around the ground, talking to fans, and they were they were saying, you know, it's just we, we're just completely regressing, and and the the bringing in sacking Jose was just so premature, um, and it happened, you know, bringing in Mason six days before a cup final when Jose has a decent record against Pep Guardiola in finals, it, it smacked of a PR move around the European Super League. That was what the fans felt, and quite understandably. And and look at where it's got them. Um, I mean, I I I've been I'm impressed when I hear Ryan Mason talk, and there have been some 
some decent aspects in 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 the early games but i think it was almost what it symbolized really you know giving giving a 29 year old the 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 job of going into their the biggest game they'd had in in an well since the champions league final um but an, a cho- an opportunity to win a trophy and it, it, there was in that game there was never there was never any chance and and it, the season is just petering out there's Arsenal with an opportunity I look at Everton in that as well and think they could have done a lot more this season um all of those clubs really apart from West Ham who I think they will feel disappointed they couldn't hang on at the end of the season maybe challenge for the Champions League spot but Spurs Everton and Arsenal will will rue their seasons in many ways because they I think certainly Arsenal could have had a much better season I think under Ancelotti, Everton have left some very poor results out on the pitch this season as well. Um, but it, it, look, it all makes for, I guess, a, a high quality final day. Um, just on the European, excuse me, on the Europa Conference League, Jonathan, a team's going to be desperate to avoid that? <laughs> uh Gosh, and journalists, I think. I mean, I was, I was just looking at the, <laughs> looking at the fixtures and, and the thing starts on July the 8th. I mean, we'll be at the semi-final stage of the, of the Euros at that point. It's, it's mind-boggling that, 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 that another European competition will be starting then. Um, David Moyes was asked about it last night and it was, it was clear that he hadn't actually contemplated or was willing to contemplate what, what the Europa Conference League might actually involve. Um, I don't think anyone's really going to be enthusiastic. I mean, Gregor will have an idea what that would mean in terms of pre-seasons, but surely if you're playing in the Europa Conference League and you're playing at the early July, that means what you get a break of till the 10th of June or something, and then you have to be back in pre-season. I don't know. Well, yeah, I love, we're, we're talking about a lot of the, Sc- the Scottish clubs are used to that, aren't they? They kind oh, of oh, have to play yeah. every qualifying round to get similar. Yeah, they kind of end up having to treat those games as pre-season friendly. Yeah. It's it's all very weird. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I've, I don't know. It's in its, its first year. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, see how people treat it. <laughs> yeah, um, journalists, the media, fans. Clearly, there is money at play as well. So, I just honestly, I think Premier League sides will stick an under twenty three team in it. To be perfectly honest, and how sad is that? How sad is that? Yeah, because well, as we- you said, no, no, no. I'm not, not sorry. What I'm saying, Hugh, is is not. It's sad that they put uh, a reserve side. You, you, you rightly asked the uh, uh, the question about would they be desperate to avoid that? I agree with you. But how sad is it that? We, Europe, European competitions were meant to be like a, an exciting thing and quite understandably, quite rightly, the clubs would see that as, as, as a competition which is just a, a distraction, um, which, which some of the big clubs, uh, when they go into the Europa League, see as a distraction until they actually finally get to the latter stages of it. I'm, I'm not arguing with you, I'm agreeing with you here. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, just the, the idea that Spurs, Everton or Arsenal will be playing Europa Conference League football, you know, fans might expect them to go out and win it and they'll say it's a trophy and it's a European competition. You know, what will the club be thinking? They'll probably be thinking the under-23s can get us through to the quarterfinals, possibly semifinals, and then we'll stick the first team in and try and win it. And if we get knocked out earlier, we'll, we'll sell it as great experience for the academy players coming through. Give it to the fans free as, the, uh, as, as something extra on the season tickets. See if we can get some support in the ground. You know, I'm... Well, let's put it this way. I'm not expecting a lot of excitement from the Europa Conference League. It's going to be big for those small teams and small countries in terms of their league size. 
um, getting to play an Everton or an Arsenal, you know, massive for them. But for Arsenal, who want to be in the Champions League, it, it, it isn't. And that's the sad, that's saddest thing about it, personally. But yeah, we're a long way off the Europa Conference League. I guess we'll cross that bridge uh, when we come to it. Gregor, just finally, on the final day of the season, tell us what it's like for the players when there is something at stake. Well, it depends what it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you're, there's no relegation battle this year. That's one thing we should see. You know, it's kind of, it's been fairly done and dusted with, I think, with three games to go, was it? And yeah. That that gulf's getting bigger, but certainly when you're when you're shooting for something like you know I've only ever done it for promotion, but it's, it's similar if you're aiming for for a prize at the end of the season, it's obviously great excitement and it's great to have fans back. And I think we can all agree that the last few days that's one thing that's leapt out even from a, a TV screen at home, just to even even though it's not you know a, a full stadium, the games are transformed and there seem to be more energy and kind of passion. We saw a little scrap even between uh, Leicester and Chelsea. We've seen several of them, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, it's a, a final day with something to play for. That's, you know, I think that's what everyone wants and players are no different, really. But how do you feel when you wake up in the morning, whether it's a relegation battle, whether it's a promotion you're going for, there must be nerves. Yeah, knots in your stomach. There is every morning, morning of every game. Oh, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's seen people saying it's impressive that teams like Aston Villa or you know teams who've got nothing to play for are performing so well. Every single game you play is like you, you feel after it you've either taken a step forward in your career or a step backwards. Every single game doesn't matter whether there's nothing riding on it or not. Obviously, there's something riding on it. Then there's something tangible at the end of it. But every single game it affects you affects you professionally. So uh, I'm no surprise to see you know some of the teams that you thought might roll over not doing so and that's why we continue to produce on the game podcast even though you know it's towards the end of the season no awards to be fighting for but we are still here delivering performance after performance week after week Gregor Robertson uh, Tom Roddy Jonathan Norcroft thank you for being with me we will be back on Monday of course looking back on what will hopefully be a fantastic end uh, to the Premier League season uh, remember if you enjoy the podcast give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from you can also subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times right now across all of your devices. If you sign up today, you will get yourself one month free to join us regularly. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you on Monday. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.